What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Cat Brooks. On June 27th, Algerian teenager Nahel M. was driving his vehicle when two French police officers tried to pull him over for what they say were traffic violations. As Nahel tried to drive away, one of those officers shot into the vehicle, killing him. What followed were multiple nights of unrest on the streets of France and over 1,300 arrests. Here to discuss is Allison Hurd, the co-host and producer of Spotlight on France, a podcast on French society and history, as well as a journalist for Radio France Internationale. Good morning, Allison. Well, I think good afternoon to you. Thank you so much for <laughs> <Yeah>. joining us. <laughs> You're welcome. Hi, Kat. Hi. Oh, we've been trying to cover this story for, for a minute on the show. So grateful to have gotten mm-hmm. you as our guest today. I always, um, I cover issues of state terror on this show uh, quite mm-hmm. regularly. And I always like to start with the humanity of the victims. And we still don't know his last name, or, or we don't hear in, in the States. But what do we know about this young man, uh, Nahel? About Nahel? Uh, well, we know he's of Moroccan-Algerian descent, although uh, he was born and bred here. He's a French citizen, uh, 17 years old, didn't have a criminal record, brought up. Although, you know, having said that, he was driving without a driving license, you know, so he was he was taking a risk. Uh, brought up by a single mum, uh, absent father, uh, tends to be the case in a lot of these uh, situations. Um, and, you know, clearly a mother that was very fond of him because, you know, she was she was out there the next day uh, calling for calm when the riots broke out and saying that obviously her son, in her opinion, had been murdered. Uh, and she believed it was linked to the fact that he was an Arab. Um but at the same time saying she didn't uh, sort of hold the police in general responsible for that. And she did not condemn the entire police force, but she condemned that one man who'd shot her son. Um, so very sad. And you talk about the human story. And I just in that context, I just also want to have a little mention of another man who was 19 years old, who was actually yeah. from Guinea, who was uh, murdered in similar circumstances, but two weeks before Nile M. So this is Al Hussein Kamara, and he was uh, similarly stopped at, um, at a, a traffic stop um, by police and shot at point blank range. His uh, death was not filmed. He was on his own. This was at 4.30 in the morning in a small town in the west of France. So far from the sort of, you know, the image that we have of the what we call the banlieue, you know, these suburbs, poor uh, suburbs with quite high immigrant populations, a very far cry from that. And this guy was, yes, he arrived in France as an illegal immigrant when he was 14. He then, you know, went to school and did all the right things. And he he got a diploma in uh, catering and he uh, found a job and he managed to buy a car and his car was insured. And he didn't put, as far as we understand, a foot wrong. And he got shot. And it's only, you know, recently that the officer in question uh, was pulled in and has uh, been charged with voluntary homicide. But, you know, you wonder when um, these killings are not filmed, as was the case of Al Hussein. You do wonder, you know, how, maybe how many more of them there are that we don't know about. Right. I mean, we don't know about, we do know um, that in 2022, there were about 13 people 
killed yeah. by police in a similar fashion. Um, do you That's know right. out of those 13, how many were black or Arab? I spoke to a lawyer about this who's been following it, and he said the vast majority, if not all, I'm quoting him, uh, it's always a bit uh, tricky. I think we can safely say that, yes, the vast majority were of were either black or of Arab descent and, and men. To, to that end, Alison Hurd, there's been a lot of discussion in the media about Article 435-1 of the Home Security Bill, which extended mm. the circumstances in which police are allowed to use their firearms. Can you talk about the origin and details of that bill? Um, there was a study carried out by French researchers that the shootings of motorists by the police has increased fivefold after that law mm. was introduced. Mm. Yeah, well, it was introduced ironically in, under the socialist government, so not a government that was sort of identified with with police repression or that, you know, was particularly uh, always defending the police, or certainly not slamming them either, but a, a slightly different colour uh, in terms of government than the one that we have now. And so they introduced the law, yes, in, in 2017, it was passed, became it became effective, and it followed the 2015 Paris attacks, which obviously shook the country to the core, you know, more than 130 people killed uh, by these radical Islamists. And, you know, in a way it was... It was. It seemed perfectly normal to try and improve, to try and boost uh, law and order. And that bill gave basically police officers much. Um, it, it extended the circumstances in which they could fire. So instead of it being an immediate threat that would justify the use of an arm, uh, it it also allows for the fact that they they can assess the level of risk themselves. It can be a perceived. Uh, threat and not just, you know, a very real one. Now, clearly, that has allowed uh, police officers to make snap decisions based maybe just on a feeling that a guy was somehow going to drive into the officer when he had not driven into him. So it, it the, you know, socialists, sorry, um, sociologists and researchers are saying um, almost across the board, actually, that this um, has ev even given the police perhaps a right to kill. I mean, that's a quite an, an extreme phrase, but certainly the uh, uh, the human rights organisation, France's Association for Human Rights, used that term. So it's seen it as partly being for, uh, to blame, actually, for the increase in the number uh, of, of fatal shootings by the police. I mean, we saw something similar here in the United States, you know, following 9-11, where mm. um, that law and order drumbeat and the the stereotyping and targeting of Arab Americans, Arabs and Muslims, right, did lead to more racial profiling, did lead to increased incidents of police violence. Something else I'm interested about, perhaps, that may be impacting the dynamic is that there is a pervasive and growing anti-immigrant sentiment in France. I mean, we see that with the growth of Marie Le Pen's party. Um, can you talk about how that also may be impacting policing on the ground? Well, um, a study that was done in 2017 uh, showed that uh, something like three quarters of the police, sorry, at the, at the time, 2017, this was an election year, 
and Emmanuel Macron, the current French president, was uh, running against Marine Le Pen, the leader of the hard right National Rally Party. And at that time, a study was done uh, which suggested that something like three quarters of the police were planning on voting for Marine Le Pen. Um, other, other, there are other indications which suggest that there, there is a very far right leaning within uh, the police force. Uh, the two biggest um, police unions are uh, clearly on the right. Uh, and they were, for example, very quick to come out immediately after the Nahel shooting. And instead of showing any kind of compassion for the family, um, for, especially for the mother of Nahel, they actually referred to uh, the rioters as vermin, uh, saying that they were at war with, with the hordes and the vermin. So that kind of vocabulary uh, is certainly uh, not what you would call moderate. It's using some of the vocabulary that we found sometimes uh, on the far right by parties on the far right here in France, even actually, I would say, on the right side of the sort of mainstream uh, uh, conservative party, which is called the Republicans, there's a there's a branch on the on the on the right side of that party, which historically uh, was not at all extremist, which is leaning now towards using those kind of terms and really um, uh, stigmatizing, uh, in a uh, obviously in a in a very very provocative way, um, a lot of these these young kids uh, of immigrant descent. I want to talk about the unrest that happened following Nahel's murder. Was mm -hmm. it organic that people poured into the streets? Was it organized by specific groups? What was it like on the ground there? Well, I have to be honest, I wasn't there. So I cannot say that I saw, you know, and witnessed stuff. But talking to uh, sort of researchers who are working on this, because it's important also to say that there is an, a deep, deep mistrust in those areas, in the banlieue, vis-à-vis -vis the media. It's very hard now to go and talk to mainly these guys. Their attitude is, you only take an interest in us when there is violence or rioting or something goes wrong. The rest of the time, you don't give a damn. And so it is, it's very difficult without being, you know, a journalist who's following this all the time, very difficult to go and talk to them and get a, a you know, an immediate reaction. But um, people who are researching, yes, are talking about um, just, yeah, the, the, the level of, uh, what can I say? Well, just this deep feeling of, of being discriminated against and that the state really has abandoned them as they, as they see. And therefore, some of the violence was very much targeted against symbols of the state. So to that extent, it was not just random and it wasn't just, you know, uh, only triggered by the death of Nael. Obviously, that was a factor. And, it, and, it, and then there was some identification between some of these young men and Nael, a feeling that it could have been them. They could have been the ones who, who, you know, they could have been out driving in their car and got stopped and got shot. So there was some identification, but there was also this the, a political element. I spoke to a soci sociologist last week in detail about this, and he said, you know, it really would be a mistake to imagine that it was just uh, coming out of nowhere and just an expression of, you know, rabble, uh, you know, just just people out pillaging because they can and wanting to destroy stuff as sort of like 
children throwing their toys out of a pram. No, there was a political element because they did target stuff, even though they knew they might be destroying part of their own neighborhood. It was it was this was public property which belonged to the state. So they were sending out a signal of extreme anger. Then, of course, at the side of that, there was also looting and that was far more opportunistic. Uh, and some of that looting, by the way, was not just being carried out by uh, young men of color, but there are also some white middle class youngsters who, who have been, uh, you know, in court as well, having taken part. Uh, interestingly, there are some studies which suggest that they have not received quite the same tough sentences that uh, the young men of immigrant backgrounds have. That was actually going to be something that I asked you, you know, <laughs> over 1,300 arrests. And what do we yeah. know about charges or consequences yeah. for the protesters? What's happening to these kids? Well, exactly. I mean, there, I think there have been about 600 that have been uh, charged, sentenced. And some of them have received uh, pretty heavy sentences. Uh, I mean, the message went out very quickly from the Minister of Justice. And they he, he sort of opened up these fast-track courts uh, even in the, you know, because like, the violence broke out on the Tuesday night and the Saturday and Sunday, the courts were open, which doesn't normally happen, to be able to to already get some of these uh, people, whether they were 17 to, I think the oldest one is about 50, but there were a majority of uh, teenagers to get them through quite quickly. And um, so they were given some of them heavy sentences as a sort of deterrent so to get the message out very quickly, hang on, guys, if you carry on doing this, you're going to end up in prison. Um, so some of them have got suspended sentences, but some of them have got, you know, there was one guy, for example, this is an example that was covered a lot in the media. He got nine months uh, sentence, uh, not suspended, so a firm one, for, for stealing a can of drink from a supermarket. Um, I mean, he had had a, you know, a, a history of violence, but still uh the you know the his lawyer considered that it was much heavier than they would have expected so there was definitely a desire uh to use uh those those um court decisions uh as a as a way of deterring uh further rioting and it could be argued that it has worked because uh, at the end of the day there was six, it was more or less one week of rioting and then it ended actually pretty quickly. So the combination of very, very heavy police presence, 45,000 officers, it's massive, a fifth of France's police force, uh, combined with heavy sentencing and done rather quickly, uh, does seem to have uh, ended the rioting, the unrest uh, pretty quickly. If you compare it with 2005, when it went on for three weeks. Well, in addition to, to massive police presence and these stiff sentences, um, my understanding is that French authorities have now banned any protests related to Nihil's murder. Um, that, that may have a chill effect, too. Is that accurate? Uh, well, I think that's where they're coming from. Yeah, this is these are uh, demonstrations that have been organized by a woman called Asa Traoré. She's the sister of Adama Traoré, who was killed in a very, very uh, high-profile uh, incident in 2016. So he was killed at the hands of the police. He, In fact, he died following uh, a, let's say, he wasn't, it wasn't a chokehold as such, but he was held down by 
three police officers, if my memory serves me right. And he died. This was in uh, July. It was very hot. And the verdict was that he died of heat stroke, aggravated by uh, the actions of the police. But ultimately, no officers were uh, held responsible for his death. And it's, so it's been an ongoing campaign to try and get justice for Adama. So every year in July, uh, the family, and with Asa, his sister, at the helm, will organise a protest against police violence and brutality. And they've been allowed to do that every year. But this year, it was banned. So that was... Um, a week before last, they tried to hold the. They nevertheless tried to hold it despite uh, the ban. It um, it turned violent, and police were pretty heavy-handed. There's some video footage showing uh, that they reacted uh, in a in a in a pretty heavy-handed way to the protests. They tried to hold a similar demonstration last Saturday, and again, uh, it was not allowed by the authorities. Again, they're saying. Uh, the justification is not officially that they don't want a demonstration against police violence, but that, that, but that they do not want it in these circumstances because they're concerned that it would reignite the kind of rioting that we saw during that week uh, at the end of June, early July. And I mean, I just want to be clear because because when we're talking about violence, they're talking about you know things being set on fire, windows being broken. Graffiti. Violence is the mm -hmm. fact that uh, allegedly this cop said that Nahel was going to get a bullet in his head and mm -hmm. then subsequently fired one I exactly mm -hmm. there. We're talking about nine month sentences for someone that stole a drink. What's happening to this cop that murdered this young teenager? Uh, he, well, I have to say on this particular case, because sometimes people have not been arrested or it's taken a very long time. And, you know, there was still a number of cases ongoing, uh, you know, out of those ones we mentioned, the 16 uh, uh, shootings following a traffic stop, you know, uh, they have not all come to court yet. And they haven't, uh, there really have been very few convictions. But in the case of the Nahel one, uh, I think the government took the measure of how serious this was very quickly. They couldn't, there couldn't be any kind of a cover up on the part of the police uh, when everybody saw the video footage and the government understood very quickly. They were quick to condemn it. They were quick, actually, even the, the president, President Macron, referred to this unbearable killing, which outraged the police because, in their opinion, that went against the presumption of innocence, which is the case and should be the case for absolutely everybody in France. But they did condemn it very quickly and the officer... We still don't know, actually, whether it was the officer who fired or his or the other officer who said, you're going to get a bullet in the head. Uh, but uh, the officer who fired, 52-year-old, was immediately arrested and charged with voluntary homicide. Uh, we're waiting for him to go to court, but he's effectively, uh, you know, there's no doubt as to what the charges are in any case. Okay. Well, Alison, we are going to continue to cover this. We hope you will come back and we thank you so much for joining us this morning. You're very welcome. Have a nice day. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. 
The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. <laughs>